Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, Apple wants to rename the format The Poopcast. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes educational, sometimes irreverent, but always entertaining weekly broadcast. Brought to you from the basement of a garage band rehearsal studio outside of Aurora, Illinois. Yes, I have been swept away from all the fun and excitement of the Chicago Land Pipe and Tobacchiana show, better known as the Chicago Pipe Show. We found a little recording studio to do this show in just outside of Aurora, Illinois, home of Wayne's World. So excited to be here with you. Got a fun show tonight in pipe parts. I'm going to go back and touch on the American estate pipes. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the American artisans. We talked more about brands or manufacturers last time. Now we'll talk about some American, more artisan style pipes. My guest... It's going to be a mystery. Big guest. Big secret. Don't want to give it away yet. My mystery guest will be on the phone in just a few minutes. Hey, music. We're going to Frank Sinatra. Perfect for this time of the year. And we know old blue eyes like to uh, blow on a pipe occasionally. Got a mailbag. Got a rant going on. Can I just tell you, last night, the Big Burn Chicago was a, a cigar event that difference between cigar guys and pipe guys wow big difference and i've known it for a while but cigar guys are all about the flash and all about the conversation and all about upping one another pipe guys a little more laid back but anyway more on the big burn more on what's going on here in chicago coming up later in the show I do want to say a big thank you to everybody that has been posting uh, feedbacks and comments for us on iTunes. The Pipes Magazine radio show is now regularly showing up in our own category as a what's hot. So thank you very much. I believe we're up over 60. Keep those up. If you haven't had a chance to do that, we appreciate it. Keep it up. We need the help getting the word out. So, let's get the show rolling. I want to get back to the pipe show and get back to having a little bit more fun. So... Those of you at home, thank you for tuning in. Thank you to smokingpipes.com. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. This is Sean Connery, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Who's going to save you now, Junior? Celebrity voices are impersonated. Welcome back from just outside of Wayne's World, Illinois. It's the Pipes Magazine radio show on location in uh, western, well, the far western suburbs of Chicago, shall we say. So, in the past we talked about uh, American pipe brands. I want to touch on a couple of American artisans that I think 
are good values on the estate market. They haven't quite carried their uh, carried their value, haven't gone up in value, but they're all really good solid smoking pipes. Uh, the first ones, and these are in no particular order, the first one I want to talk about is the American Smoking Pipe Company, founded by Mark Tinsky and his partner, Kurt Roller. Uh, any old American smoking pipe company pipes that you come across are going to be really solid, really more traditional shapes. And any of Mark's current production I've seen are all really good, solid, durable smoking pipes. Mark uh, experimented with different stains, different kinds of finishes. He was kind of ahead of his uh, ahead of his trend, or the trend is what shall we say, kind of ahead of his time. The uh, next one is uh, Elliot Knockwalter, and Elliot Knockwalter has the pipe studio. I he had Pipe Works, which uh, kind of moved around a little bit. Started in Vermont, moved down to New York City, down in Florida for a little bit. Elliot had several partners that worked with him uh, in the Briar Workshop, and the Briar Workshop was really a great place for some American pipe makers to uh, study some of the Danish designs. Some of the people that are currently making pipes that came out of that group are Brad Pullman and J.T. Cook. They both worked there for a little bit. So some really good design stuff, really interesting shaping, really interesting colors. And again, you're not looking at spending a fortune on these pipes, but they are some of the some of the better shaping and some of the better designs, especially when you're looking back into the 70s and 1980s of American pipe making. Michael Fry is another guy that uh, shows up occasionally with pipes. It's F-R-E-Y, Michael Fry. He studied with uh, Mike Butera, who's almost the father of artisan, American artisan pipe makers or the American high-grade movement. So you see a lot of Butera's, uh, a lot of Butera's influence in Mike Fry's pipes. I've seen a lot of Fry pipes, and they tend to be larger pieces, classically shaped, some styling, but larger pieces executed really well. I mean, real high-quality engineering in those. So look for Fry's pipes on the estate market as well. No uh, mention of estate pipes or American estate pipes would be uh, complete without talking about Tim West. Tim West has been a full-time pipe maker since 1975, and uh, Tim makes some classic shapes, freehands, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Tim is just one of those guys that just keeps going and going and going and makes great pipes. Tim's also a very personable guy. Still making pipes today. His pipes on the estate market, good values, good, solid, well-made smoking pipes. And again, that's the, the target of this whole segment is to get you really good pipes where you don't have to spend a fortune for them. So look for stuff that Tim's done. Uh, Tim's in Columbus, Ohio. You'll see him at a couple of pipe shows a year as well. The last one that I want to mention is a guy named Steve Weiner. Uh, Steve passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, just been a, was a wonderful pipe maker again in central Ohio and Steve's pipes had a style and an aesthetic all to themselves. Didn't make a, uh, didn't produce a lot of pipes, but again, he worked with Mike Butera. So you see a lot of Butera's influence in him. He did a little bit different stylings, a little bit different shapings, 
But with Steve, again, you're going to see a really well-executed pipe, a really well-made stem, interesting rustications, interesting carvings on the pipes. And uh, you don't see too many of them out there, but when you do, they're not overly priced. They're not truly uh, dramatically priced, and that's what I like about them. There are an awful lot of other really good pipe makers that have been around in the States. Uh, Jack Weinberg, JHW Pipes, did a lot of freehands, a lot of really big sculptural pieces. Uh, You'll see some of that. There's also a whole handful of really good small manufacturer pipes that you can keep your eye out. Start looking for and start trying to understand what it is that makes a pipe really good and really good for you. You want to look at those measurements inside the shank and the between the button and the uh, or the facing of the mortise hole and the tip of the tenon. If that's done right, you want to look for good quality stem material. Good quality stem material is important because, as we heard last week, the most important part of the pipe is the last inch or last half inch before it goes in your mouth. Uh, look to some of these guys that. Uh, might have worked with Butera or have worked around other pipe makers because when you find these groupings of other pipe makers that have all worked together, you see a real growth or a real synergy between those between those styles and those guys. So there you go. You got some more American pipes to look for on the estate market. I'll be keeping my eye out for some when I get a chance to walk around the uh, Chicago Pipe Show. In just a minute... The mystery guest is on the phone. He's on hold. We'll have a little fun. So hold on. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Yo, Barry, tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there? Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. As promised, please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show our mystery guest. And mystery guest, I've got some questions that have been sent in to me by some listeners that will help try to identify you, possibly. Are you ready, mystery guest? I'm ready. Mystery guest, have you ever flown an airplane at over 500 miles per hour? Mystery guest, have you ever sampled goat cheese from the rare Himalayan goats? Yes. Next question. Mystery guest, do you know the difference between your left elbow and your right elbow? No. Uh, Mystery guest, are you an expert in the flavors of pipe tobacco? Yes. Last question. Mystery guest, are you wearing pants? Is your name Gregory Pease? Yes. 
Please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show the one and only Greg Pease. Greg, how are you? Very well, Brian. How are you doing? <laughs> that was fun, and I knew who you were the whole time. That's because you know I'm usually in a kilt. <laughs> Never mind. So the prompting for this interview and for having you on with me right now is your article recently posted on pipesmagazine.com. It's the lights, smokes, and leaves, the care and feeding of the pipe man. And I have some questions specifically for you in regards to some of the stuff in the article. So if you'll uh, indulge us, are you ready? I'm certainly ready, Brian. I have some answers. I hope they match. So in your article, you mention the bottom cake. And as I've said before, the only cake I tend to really build up is a little speed bump towards the top of the bowl. How does somebody build a bottom cake? Ah, uh, good question. Well, the, the short answer, I think, is uh, to smoke the pipe to the bottom. Pretty obvious, but uh, it's not always easy to do, especially with a new pipe. But uh, I think it's important with a new briar if you want to smoke to the bottom, and some people don't. Um, I've personally never paid too much attention to the whole thing. Uh, just, you know, I fill a pipe, smoke it, enjoy it, not a big deal. But uh, lately, I've spent some time experimenting with the whole break-in by thirds method that uh, we read about in all the old literature, filling the pipe a third of the way and smoking it for 10 bowls or whatever, and filling it two-thirds and on and on. Um, it seems to work pretty well. I don't think I've really noticed any difference in the overall smoking characteristics of the pipes, but it helps build the bottom cake a little bit more easily and uh, helps establish an even cake all the way up the bowl. Uh, whether or not it's worth the effort, I'm not really sure about yet, but it's fun. I've, I'm going to try it with the next new pipe that I get and, and see how it works, and I'll report back to you on that. How's that? Oh, that sounds great, Brian. I look forward to it. Uh, I'll call you at some obscene hour. With eager anticipation. Turn off your ringer. <laughs> you know, once the cake's established, it sort of seems to manage itself pretty well. Um, I don't do anything special beyond that, just reaming the pipe once in a while. I like to keep my cakes fairly thin, but once it's established on the bottom, it just seems to take care of itself. My next question. Vulcanite stems, and I know you have a... Uh, fairly good collection of old GBDs. Is there anything particular that you do to keep the stems clean? Yeah, put them in a box and don't smoke them. <laughs> okay, and if you want to smoke them, is there anything in particular you do to keep them clean? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I try to keep them out of the light. Uh, I think nothing oxidizes a stem more quickly than being in sunlight. Uh, when I smoke the pipes, I try to keep the bits dry which is kind of impossible when you're actually smoking the thing. Um, wiping them down with a soft cloth after every smoke, uh, trying to keep the oxidation from starting. When it's, if it's very light, if the oxidation is very light, then there's a product called Flitz Metal Polish. It's a paste that comes in a tube. It's food grade, food safe. Uh, it works pretty well if it's a very light oxidation, but, you know, after a while they get nasty, you've got to go to the buffing wheel. Or send them off to have them really cleaned by somebody who knows what they're doing. Or send them off to somebody who knows what they're doing. All right, so, so let's... Keep, keeping them black is a hell of a lot easier than getting them black again once they've turned. 
and you did talk in the article about the importance of keeping the inside of the pipe clean, so that, that vulcanite tip made me, that's what tipped me into the vulcanite idea. Yeah, absolutely. A, keeping the pipe clean. Nothing fouls the pipe more than not cleaning it well. So now let's move on, because the article was primarily about tasting and about developing taste styles. Um, oftentimes I have pipe smokers that literally ask me, what should I be tasting when I smoke this kind of tobacco? So I really have a what I consider to be an immature and heavily abused palate. I know how to cleanse my palate. I know how to clean it out. But on from your opinion, what are the basic flavors that I should look for in a Virginia blend or in like in, in particular, in Haddo's Delight of Virginia Perique, if you can just give us the ballpark on those, and then I'll ask you about English afterwards. Okay. Uh, Virginias are generally sort of regarded as sweet tobaccos uh, because of their high sugar content, but there's also a lot of other stuff going on. They uh, Sometimes citrus notes, uh, sometimes more verdant, grassy sorts of flavors. Uh, some people report the taste of hay, uh, some of them are more woodsy. Um, sometimes you get spice notes like cinnamon, cardamom, things like that. Uh, it's uh, There's a fairly broad profile of Virginia flavors. They tend to be fairly subtle, but uh, delicious. Perique in small amounts can be sort of like a flavor enhancer, like uh, adding a little bit of salt to a dish. Turns up the knobs without making things taste salty. Uh, Perique does the same sort of thing. It just amplifies the, the flavors that are there. But if you keep adding more and more, it starts to make itself known, brings out some peppery notes, some what people sort of generally refer to as spiciness, uh, sort of a biggie or plummy, fruity kind of character. Uh, something like Haddo's, because it also has a little additional flavoring, you can get chocolatey notes, uh, dark chocolate primarily, uh, mostly the sweetness and things like that. I've, uh, I've also hmm? noticed that Perique can be used to cool down a hotter Virginia blend. It does. It does. Now, with, a, with an English, which I am no, I'm no way an expert, you know, my two bowls a year of English or whatever I smoke, what's the basic taste that we're going to be looking for out of an English blend? Uh, Latakia mixtures. The dominant sort of characteristics are thought of as being smoky, uh, campfire-like. I think of uh, driftwood campfires on the beach, uh, leathery taste, uh, sort of pungent character, a lot of complexity. There's also a sweetness to Latakia. That's, it's direct sweetness of Virginia. It's very nice. The Orientals can have an exotic sort of taste, like incense, uh, they present a sort of subtle tartness or a slight sourness to the smoke. Is a, is an oriental leaf, and Latakia starts out as an oriental leaf, uh, is an oriental leaf a way of naturally making a blend aromatic without putting an artificial flavor on it? Aromatic in the sense that the tobacco has a, a very distinct aroma of its own. Uh, not aromatic in the sense that most people think of it today, with, you know, vanilla or fruit flavors. Right, but aromatic in the sense that it'll have a fragrance in the air and on the taste that is truly a non-tobacco basic. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
Alright, we're going to take a break here so that I can reload my bowl. When we come back, I'm going to talk about how to chew smoke. We'll be back in just a minute. a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. Welcome back. Greg is still on the phone. Greg, are you ready to talk about chewing the smoke? Uh, yes, I am. But I want to go back a little bit to the sort of flavors of tobaccos. Yeah. Uh, you know, the individual components have their own characteristic tastes, their own aromas and things like that. But when these flavors collide in the mix, all kinds of new things can appear. Uh, things that may not be apparent in the, initial, the original components if they're smoked individually. But there's this sort of this synergy is an absolutely overused expression. But in the case of tobacco, the whole really can be greater than the sum of the parts. And so you get all these really fascinating things that you don't expect sometimes. Pretty fascinating. Let's talk about, you, you said, when you say chew the smoke uh, in, your, in the article, are you actually moving your mouth and chomping on the smoke? Sort of, yeah. It's, a, it's kind of a subtle thing. It's not like you're chewing a piece of steak. But, uh, you know, you're moving the smoke around in the mouth, letting it reach more of the sensors, uh, getting some of the somesthetic sensory stimulation, the, the warmth, the coolness, the weight of the smoke, the, the sort of mouthfeel, its viscosity, things like that that sort of add to the overall impression of the smoke. As well, when, when you move it around, you're giving, getting more of the smoke through the retral nasal passages uh, into the olfactory bulb, so you're you're smelling it more than tasting it. Yeah. So it's, it's movement. Chewing is probably a bit of a stretch. When I read that, the first thing that I tried doing was moving my tongue around, and you're right, it did, it did help get the smoke under the tongue, under the, ba- under the bottom of it, and it did help push it back without actually drawing it back all the way. Mm-hmm. All right, so... A lot of our listeners are aromatic smokers. A lot of, a lot of pipe smokers in the world. About ninety percent of them are aromatic smokers. I want your advice on what is a good starter English blend for them to try, and what's a good starter Virginia blend for them to try to understand and transition to. Good question. And without sounding pejorative, because. If you smoke your aromatics and you enjoy them, keep doing it. But if you want to try and transition into some of these straight Virginias or Virginia Periques, what do you suggest? I think going from aromatics to Latakia mixtures actually is 
probably a little easier than going to Virginia's to start with because it's more of an in-your-face set of flavors to, to cling to. Uh, big flavors, the mixtures have, there's a lot going on, and it's pretty easy to get new experiences that way. Uh, but it needs to be something that's well-balanced, not too strong, not too heavy, not too pungent. If there's too much Latakia in it, it'd probably turn a lot of people off, especially those around the smoker. Uh, um, something on the lighter side, like my Piccadilly, would be a good choice, uh, or something like Meridian from the old London series, which is just a really nicely balanced, easy-to-smoke, complex mixture that's got uh, a lot of good flavors. Uh, for Virginias, uh, it's a little tougher because Virginias tend to be really subtle. They tend to be more delicate. Something like maybe Fillmore. It's got a little bit of perique. Uh, it's fairly bold, uh, but it does take time to grok Virginias. It takes time to integrate those subtle tastes into the perceptions and the taste memories that you have. It takes longer to get to know them. Uh, for cigar smokers, I like to recommend Key Largo. It's got a little bit of cigar leaf in it. And that cigar taste gives the brain something to latch on to while the other flavors are being learned, uh, experienced over time. Can we jump off the off the list for a little bit here? Because that, that brings up something that I wanted to ask you about, because you, you, you do smoke cigars occasionally. I do. Um, when you I do. Put, <laughs> you do. I think you do. Um, cigar leaf in the bowl versus cigar leaf in a cigar. It, how dramatically different is the taste experience, in your opinion, because you're not actually touching the leaf like you do when you smoke a cigar. Yeah, it's a very different experience. I mean, part of the taste of the cigar is actually the taste of the wrapper in your mouth. Um, the construction of the cigar also makes a big difference. Uh, you're filtering the smoke through a lot of cigar leaf, and you get that sort of big, bold cigar taste, whereas when the leaf is just a, a component in a pipe mixture, it's much more subtle. You get some of the familiar flavors, but it's not like smoking a cigar, and it's not like smoking pure cigar tobacco in a pipe. It's really quite a different thing. And then going when they when somebody f is first starting out with a Virginia or a, or an English blend, of course you want them to you want them to sit down and take their time with it and pace it and and smoke it as slow as possible. Smoke slowly and deliberately. Uh, put your attention on it. Focus on it. Then again, I sort of think that. We should always smoke that way if we want to get the most out of the experience. Can't always do it. And I would life, also suggest... Life gets in the way. Yeah. And, and Some I've, clown will call you up and interview you on the radio and it ruins your smoke. I had nothing to do with that. But I would also suggest that you uh, start out with a fresh, clean pipe and not use one that's that you've smoked aromatics in because it'll take a while to get that aromatic out. Uh, yeah, that's true, but not everybody can do that. Not everybody's willing to dedicate a pipe to something new. Uh, certainly to get the most out of the experience, you should smoke it in a clean pipe, but yeah, I don't think it's always really that necessary. Now, what if I if I really can't detect the specific flavors, and I, and I, use, this, I use this for wine as well, um, I can't, I can pick up sharp notes, or low notes, and I tend to use it all musically. Am I missing something? Am I am I really defective, or have I just not practiced and focused yet? 
Well, I think anybody who listens to your show knows that you're a little defective, Brian. Oh, thank you. Uh, for everyone else, you know, we all experience our own palates. You know, we access our own sensory cues and the memories of different flavors that we've experienced. If you jump into a new blend with an expectation of what you might experience, um, that you might taste a certain thing because you've, you've read a review or the brilliant descriptions on the back of the tin, uh, you might or might not experience those things more easily, more directly. Um, you mentioned wine. One of my early experiences in wine tasting was uh, at an event hosted by Robert Mandavi, who was you know, an absolute giant in the industry. It was kind of daunting, and we're all sitting around this table terrified. And in he walks in his overalls, and he sits down, and he says, Hi, I'm Bob, and we're going to taste wine. And uh, we had glasses in front of us and pieces of paper with pencils, and uh, everybody was just terrified. And he sort of immediately allayed our fears by saying there are no wrong answers. You know, nobody's going to get it wrong. We're just going to taste wine. We're going to write down what we experience and talk about it. And that's what we did. It was a lot of fun. And during the process, everybody started to experience things because other people were talking about them. You know, somebody said, oh, I taste dried apricots in that. And it's, oh, now that you mention it, there it is, dried apricots. So I think, you know, expectation and, and taking notes. Uh, I mentioned in my article that keeping a smoking journal is a is a fun thing to do, sort of gives you a place to jump in, and over time, your brain starts to assimilate these things. Uh, you start to experience familiar smells, familiar tastes, and form associations. Uh, Attention, it takes time, but, you know, pretty much all of us have the same sensory apparatus. Uh, we're more similar in that regard than different. And I think it's just a matter of training and time and, and, and caring. And not everybody does. People often just enjoy tasting things and don't really care whether it tastes like raspberries or a chocolate sundae. And the last question I have for you, we talked about it, I don't know, about eight, ten days ago when we were planning this out. Can you describe the difference between full-flavored and full-strength? Ah, uh, yes. Full-flavored. Strong in flavor, strong in effect. There's a difference between the, the intensity of the flavor and the strength of the tobacco. Tobacco can be fairly strong without being very flavorful, and you don't notice it until your head's spinning. Or a tobacco can have a lot of flavor without being particularly strong. Latakia has a very dominant taste, but it's not a really strong tobacco. It it's, doesn't tend to give people the spins. Uh, things like Virginia's, especially some of the leaf that's grown in Africa and India, can be very strong without having really big, huge, bold flavors. So if you're not paying attention to your smoking and you're not accustomed to high nicotine tobaccos, eh, they can make the room spin. Burley the same way? It's interesting. You know, a lot of people say that Burley doesn't have a lot of taste, but I think it does, actually. It's a very nutty sort of flavor, and it can be quite bold, but it is also quite strong. It has a lot of nicotine. The leaf has a lot of nicotine in it, and because of the, the pH of the smoke, Burleys tend to be a little bit more alkaline, so the nicotine's more readily absorbed. 
They can make the walls move in. And with that, we'll uh, wrap it up with the Fast Five final questions. Short answer, long answer, no right or wrong answers. Are you ready? As ready as I can be. What's your favorite pipe? Jeez. Uh, there's just far too many of them. I don't think... My favorite pipe is the one that I'm smoking when somebody asks me the question. What's your favorite tobacco? See above. <laughs> Any GLP's <laughs> brand? No, I think right now, actually, I, I've, I've been really having kind of an affair with some old tins of Samara that I pulled out of the cellar. Absolutely delicious. They're six, seven years old and really delicious. What's your favorite drink? Wine. What's your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? Talk to you, Brian, of course. Okay, brownie points for that one. And where's your, what's your, where's your favorite place to smoke a pipe? Anywhere I can. And welcome to the Republic of California. Yeah, the Republic of the World, I think. Greg, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Check out the article on PipesMagazine.com if you haven't done it already. Website, G-L-P-E-A-S-E dot com. Look at the full portfolio. And uh, you can also see a link to all of Greg's ramblings on the uh, Briar and Leaf Chronicles and all that other stuff. And if you want to, if you need a thesaurus or a dictionary while you're reading it, don't feel bad. You'll be just like me. Well, thanks for making it relatively painless, Brian. We'll be back from Chicago in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tins of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. <laughs> Welcome back. Hey, that was a lot of fun, but do you guys know what I love about uh, talking to Greg Pease? Yeah, me neither. I can't figure it out. Anyway, Greg's a good sport. I uh, feel smarter at times when I talk to him, and then most of the time I feel just, oh, just a wee bit more average. Anyway, let's get right to some music. So Frank Sinatra, Pipe Puffer, famous song for the area. Here's uh, old Blue Eyes on a remastered version of Chicago. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Chicago, Chicago, I will show you around. I love it. The 
At your bottom dollar, you lose the blues in Chicago, Chicago, the town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down. On State Street, that great street, I just want to say, they do things they don't do on Broadway. They have the time, the time of their life. I saw a man, he danced with his wife in Chicago, Chicago, my hometown. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Chicago, Chicago, I'll show you around. I love it, bet your bottom dollar you lose the blues in Chicago, Chicago. Town that Billy Sunday could not shut down On State Street, that great street I just want to say They do things that they never do on Broadway say. They have the time, the time of their life I saw a man and he danced with his wife in Chicago Chicago, Chicago, that's my hometown. You know what I do like about Chicago this time of the year? You can get all three seasons in about four days. I don't like having to leave my uh, garden at home where everything's starting to bloom, flowers are coming out, and... God, everything's looking nice and green back at home. So, In the mailbag. Are you ready? Uh, check out the post on the rare tins that are going to be coming up here at, uh, at the Chicago show. Some rare vintage tobaccos that are going to be uh, silent auctioned or private auctioned off by the uh, folks from McClelland out of their own uh, archives. Some really old Dunhill stuff. I can't wait to see that. I don't think I can afford it, but I can't wait to see that. Check out that post. It's called Rare Vintage Tobaccos to be Auctioned in Chicago. It was uh, posted on the 29th. Uh, While I've been here in Chicago, so far, got a couple of interviews done from some overseas folks. We'll be uh, playing those back at later dates, but it's the perfect time for me to talk to people from, oh, anywhere, you know, 40, 50 different countries will be represented here at the Pipe Show. Uh, I have not had a chance really to go out and do any uh, room hopping or check stuff out. Was involved in the cigar event last night. Had some work to do today and uh, did some interviews. Said hi to a lot of people. Been a lot of fun. Another post on the forums that I do want to mention that I saw earlier was about the uh, the mythical, mysterious Dunhill Black Spot Pipes. Uh, Lord of the Pipe Rings brought it to my attention. I chatted with him real quick on the answer, but here's the story behind the black spot pipes. No, it's not some urban legend. There really are black spot pipes. It's nothing out of the ordinary or super, super, super rare, nothing for uh, the underclass to smoke a pipe or the upperclassmen to go mix in a crowd of lowerclassmen. Here's what happened. In the uh, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and up until the 60s, Dunhill was using actual ivory for the white spots. 
the ivory, elephant ivory, comes in different densities and different qualities. What Dunhill would do is drill, they'd finish the pipe, get it shaped down almost, get it polished almost to finish, drill a hole straight through the top of the stem, and they had these ivory rods. They'd insert the rod in there, do a little cut on the top of the stem, go back in, drill it out on inside through the draft hole, and polish it and finish it up and sand it in. That ivory spot in an old Dunhill pipe, if you've got a very clean stem, you can look through a straight stem, and with some light at the other end, you'll see the dot coming through. Well, here's what happened to turn them black. Don't clean your pipe. Don't clean your pipe and smoke a uh, heavy English or smoke an aromatic blend and let all those oils build up. Ivory being a bone picks up the oils, picks up the tars and the moisture out of the tobacco and sucks it up. And over time, that white spot picks up all those tars and turns dark. Thus, the mystery of the mythical Dunhill black spot pipes. It's just from over smoking and from a little bit of uh, abuse, but... Hey, listen, you guys talk to me about uh, tobacco reviews and doing tobacco reviews. Well, we hired this fella just specifically to do this review just for you. Even though I wasn't uh, chosen to be the Pipes Magazine radio show host, big mistake. I'm thrilled to be here on the show. Could care less. First of all, I want to say that this will be a completely unbiased review of Middleton's Cherry Blend. Aromatic suck. I've been smoking pipes and tobaccos for a very long time, three months, and I know what I'm talking about. Clueless. You know, there's a reason Middleton's Cherry Blend has been around for so long. Leftover cigarette tobacco. It's because they use the finest leaf available. Floor sweepings. Cherry Blend is not your typical cherry mixture. Horse manure. It it is a finely crafted, cross-cut Burley, Virginia blend with a wisp of cherry, nowhere to be found, in the background and a solid upfront tobacco profile. Tastes like air. When you open the pouch, the tobacco is fresh and moist. Propylene glycol. It lights easily and burns well. Ten relights. There is no tongue bite, completely seared, and the tobacco burns to the bottom of the bowl into a fine gray ash. Goopy mess. I couldn't think of a better way to spend an afternoon than smoking this blend. Root canal. I would highly recommend Middleton's Cherry blend not my worst enemy well there you go that is mr subliminal doing a review the way i would do it and i guess uh, he's a little upset that he didn't get my job so too bad also uh, i'm guessing middleton's is not going to be advertising on the show anytime soon but uh hey listen rant time from chicago coming up next There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. We're coming to the end of the show from Wayne's World, western, far western suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. And uh, let me say, this is less of a rant and more of an observation or a perplexing situation. Here's how it goes. About a year or so, a couple of years ago, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but 
I was driving home late at night, about 10.30. I was hungry. I stopped in the McDonald's drive-thru. I ordered two double cheeseburgers and a small cup of coffee. Wanted the double cheeseburgers, needed the coffee just to keep my eyes open. I had about a half hour left on my drive home. She rings me up for the two double cheeseburgers and rings me up for the coffee, and I look at the total. Instead of it being like 325 or something like that, it's about 270-something. I'm looking at it, oh, I realize on the screen, as she says, pull around, she gave me the senior price for coffee. Now, I'm 45 years old. I don't think I sound old, but... I'm not going to argue with her. I just saved 50-some-odd cents on a cup of coffee. Well, now as I'm driving around, I'm thinking, well, what happens if she looks at me and then she asks my age? Who's going to be embarrassed, me or her? What am I going to say? I don't know. Anyway, the long story short is senior discounts, when do you really start to ask? When do you really start to ask? If you're working in a store and you know that there's a senior discount available, do you really start to ask? I don't know. I don't know when you really start to feel like it's comfortable enough to say, all right, you look old enough, I'm going to ask you. It's like one of the that, that other age-old uh, question. If you see a woman and you, think, and you think she's pregnant, is she really pregnant? Do you ask? Nah, I, I just tend to keep my mouth shut. But anyway, with the coffee, I was a little worried that I'd get around the corner, she'd ask my age, and then have to re-ring the whole thing. Anyway, it turns out it was a completely different person, and uh, thankfully the uh, fine folks at McDonald's were uh, not paying real attention to what was going on that night, and I saved 50-some-odd cents on a uh, small cup of coffee that didn't taste that good in the first place, but got me home safe. So, hey, listen, next week, I'm not sure what we'll be doing on the show. May play one of the interviews that I've got, may have a phone-in guest, but I'll be back from Chicago. I will fully recap the Chicago Pipe Show. If you are here at the Chicago Pipe Show, please make sure and stop by my table, say hi to me, check out the uh, seminar that uh, Kevin Godby and I will be giving in the smoking tent. Swing by, say hi, stop and meet a whole bunch of folks. Everybody check out everything that you can at the Pipe Shows. If you're uh, listening to the show right now, flash the lights in your hotel room. That'll wonder, maybe two of you? I don't know. Anyway, Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Thank you to SmokingPipes.com. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy trails to the bum ba dee da 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 b